0: Hey fam, what it do? Welcome to another episode of The Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, Today I have on Dr. Ryan Westrom, and I just want to read to you his bio. So he has a PhD and a master's in a nationally recognized psychedelic integration expert. For more than 15 years, his primary focus has been working with individuals and groups facilitating experiential therapy and integrating psychedelic journeys into healing and personal transformation. Ryan speaks on a myriad of topics and leads experiential groups like DreamWork Integration Therapy, this is why I had to get him on, and Psychedelic Integration Groups. He is the founder of Healing Souls, LLC, and psychedelic integration.net he and his friend also co-wrote probably the most comprehensive um psychedelic inter- integration guide that i've ever seen um this was a really awesome podcast there's a lot of eerie similarities between both he and i's upbringing and um for the first time somebody Interpreted my dream on a podcast and it was obviously him on this podcast and it was beautiful to see how he did it So uh, if you're curious in hearing someone dissect my psyche uh, This is an episode for you to dance with and also if you're interested in what it looks like to integrate after using psychedelics He is a fucking fountainhead of information Um, You'll enjoy this podcast Speaking of psychedelic integration uh, by the time you're listening to this, I will be in the jungle uh, drinking ayahuasca. So please send me some love, send me some prayers, and I will probably have to re-listen to this podcast when I get back to help me with my own integration. And if you would like to support the podcast, as always, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and share this podcast on whatever social media platform is the one that you prefer to get your dopamine hits from. As always, I really appreciate that you guys listen. There are so many places that your attention could be going, and it means a lot that you choose to come here and listen to the dance that I'd be doing. So thank you. I love you, and I hope you have a beautiful day. Namaste. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, You wrote... Uh, along with your co-writing partner, one of the most, I think, in-depth and um, insightful books on psychedelics and how to integrate with them. I've read all the books out there on psychedelics. And um, to call yours a handbook, I think you would have to have pretty large hands because it's a pretty big book. But it is the most comprehensive One that I have found so far, and I was telling you before the call, um, I had the call as a younger man to write something like that. But what you guys did uh, is beyond what I was capable of doing. And I'm really glad that you guys brought it into the universe. Thank
1: you so much, Eric. And I appreciate you um, saying that. It was a labor of love, that's for sure. And as you allude, the, uh, the size of it became more and more as we kept diving deeper and deeper. So at the end of the day, it was like, there was no place really to shut off until the end of the conversation. And at the and end so of the... the please,
0: please. Oh, please go on.
1: No, so at the end of the book, we we, we did come into um, somewhat of a, like a dilemma where we didn't know how, how much more to give or if we should have shut it off. And it's, it makes it your own, right? Psychedelic integration is, is a personal journey.
0: Absolutely. And this leads into the first question. Um, how would you describe what it is that you're doing in the world? Like, let's say that I met you um, after a yoga class or you just got done working out or you just got off stage giving a lecture and I asked you, what is it that you do and who are you? How would you answer that question?
1: Uh, That's a complex scenario right now. I'm a combination of an educator, a psychotherapist, an advocate, and really a voice for psychedelic research as well as psychedelic healing. So my classical answer starts with me being a therapist. I'm a healing psychedelic integration therapist, which is defined by helping people process the potential to start using psychedelics or consider the Mm. mode as well as then the preparation for what needs to take place to consider working with these medicines and compounds and most importantly the um, walking with them throughout any mental emotional or physical thoughts that they might be having around um, being, you know, in this arena. I'm also a sex therapist, which works with sexual addiction, sexual health. And those two roads combined have really been a fruitful career, uh, helping people understand their true authenticity, really.
0: And we talked about it before the podcast, but how would you differentiate between the common misconception of a integration therapist with um, what has now been made popular by Michael Pollan's book where it's an underground psychedelic administrator?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a tightrope that one's walking. Um, Our culture has coined the term an underground administrator or underground therapist. And what that is, is really no different, but what they're offering is the experience. And so one would be offering the experience the set the setting that might be very comparable to a research protocol or they might offer it in a ceremony or spiritual set be it group or individual whereas the definition of a psychedelic integration therapist is one that's working with other modalities that are legal say breath work hypnosis mm. art exercises and classical therapy And the psychedelic integration therapist, in conjunction with the person desiring to use psychedelics, then can, you know, talk about it freely. There's no problem talking about it or theoretically exploring it. But it's really designed as a harm reduction uh, collaboration. The therapist is supporting the client or the patient with harm reduction rather than doing it with them. And, you know, I see nothing wrong with the individuals doing the underground therapy, I caution the conversation publicly about it. So that's the most Hmm. important thing is knowing where we are in our culture
0: right now. How would your best friend describe you and what you do?
1: Uh, A combination of a therapist, a listener, a enjoyable recreational advocate for this work and uh quite often a little liberal so i'll be uh one minute talking about you know the deep theoretical aspects of psychedelics and the next i'll uh be talking about the grateful dead or a showdown in mexico or you know what the (laughs) latest uh what the latest craze is with the ayahuasca ceremonies down in peru so you know very nuanced. They definitely don't describe me as, um, you know, normal in a sense, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> I, 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 I put, I push the, I push the, uh, the boundaries as it relates to topics. Uh, you know, anyone that's helping someone deal with a porn addiction all the while supporting them with their latest ayahuasca journey, you know, has a colorful mm-hmm. story to tell. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. How would your closest romantic partner describe you and what you do?
1: Uh, That's a fantastic question. Confused? (laughs) No. My my closest romantic partner, um, she definitely sees me as someone that is passionate, that is exuberant, that talks a lot about this subject matter. And oftentimes, um, I'm blessed to have her in my life because they support me. They give me the freedom to be myself. So. They, they, they recognize the authenticity of who I am and um, really give me kind of the privilege to, uh, you know, push the envelope. I'd say an envelope pusher would be uh, real concise.
0: That's beautiful. How would your father describe you and what you do?
1: My father um, was real traditional in growing up. He played professional hockey, and so I was um, born and kind of bred to be a hockey player, which I ended up doing throughout college. And um, he's an amazing man, uh, and he would probably describe me as someone that is quite open-minded, quite... um, experiential, like I need to feel things. And he's always been remarking on that is how I'm able to Mm. feel things and not necessarily just, you know, talk and think about things as surface level or face value. So I've really been um, privileged to have a father that has given me the open territory to do that.
0: And how would your mother describe you and what you do?
1: Could you say that again, please?
0: And how would your mother describe you and what you do?
1: My mother was a first grade school teacher. She just recently retired. So she's one of those um, individuals that would identify me as kind of the, you know, love child of the 60s that was transplanted into the year 2000. Um, She sees me as very (laughs) floral, very open. Uh, Long story short, she would probably coin me as the kid that never wanted to, uh, you know, hurt anybody's feelings, was very emotionally sensitive to what was going on in the playground or the ball field. So uh, very, Mm. very connected to being open. And she really embedded in me how to treat others, you know, and care about them for sure.
0: What do you recall as your first memory?
1: My first memory, I recall a little later in life, actually. It was when I was nine years old and um, growing up uh, in the 80s. My parents had one of those uh, wooden like station wagons, green wooden panel station wagons. And I was the firstborn, oldest child laying in the back. And I remember the moon, and it was a full moon. And we were coming home from my grandmother's or something, maybe uncle's. And I just had the profound feeling at nine years old that the moon was following me. And it was a very spiritual experience. It was probably what I would coin... Yeah, uh, probably what I would coin my first non-ordinary experience. And if you decide non-ordinary as, you know, kind of psychedelic without obviously taking any compounds. And I just laid there. And for the longest time, all the way up till today, Eric, I still look at the full moon with awe and reverence and be it the feminine nature of it or whatever. Hmm. And just remember thinking, holy shit, this is pretty outstanding Uh, and kind of getting lost in the the volume of it, right?
0: So this is a weird parallel, but my first memory, I think I was three and I remember it being a full moon and I was inside a toy Tonka truck type thing. And my mom was watching me. Like I could feel my mom was watching me with love. And there's just a lot of weird, interesting parallels between those two memories. I just wanted to share that.
1: Yeah, I love that story. It it sounds like it was safe to you too, right? That you had the opportunity Absolutely. to with with your mother's permission and just the safety and the warmth of getting lost and and I think that's what's so important when I hear your story. That is paramount. People need safety to be able to explore.
0: I'm curious, what do you remember being the first story that really grabbed you? Like, if if you're around children, you find that when they're between the ages of like five and seven, they tend to find either a movie or a book that they demand be read or replayed over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, and it is The Wizard of Oz. I am deeply, deeply in love. I have two daughters and I have a fourteen-year-old and a four-year-old, and I am mesmerized. And I remember at the time, The Wizard of Oz would come out around Thanksgiving, and they would play it, and it was just the most profound state of uh, just fantasy, as well as you know a, a journey, right, going down the yellow brick road, finding the Oz, and being going out into this kind of heroic journey. And still to this day, I love the whimsical nature of it. I love the history of it. I'll get lost in like storylines and find the Wizard of Oz just tremendously captivating.
0: Let's say that your youngest daughter is now 10 and she's asking for a bedtime story and you're going to tell her the Wizard of Oz. Could you tell us like you would tell it to her? Um, yeah, And you know, most you definitely. Can take as long as you need to.
1: Uh, oftentimes I tell stories to my daughter and the most magical part of it is I usually ad lib and add things or stop and let her stop and let her really kind of ask questions. And so if I'm telling the story of the wizard of Oz, I am taking it on as a which is my daughter's name and a would be Dorothy and I would be maybe the scarecrow, And my family members, her sister might be the Tin Man. And as we're um, starting, I'm giving her power. And so inviting the idea that now Dorothy is walking down the Wizard of Oz's yellow brick road. And she's asking questions and really bantering back and forth. And inviting the idea, right, to start putting herself in that character's shoes. And as Dorothy or Esteya is walking down the yellow brick road, we come across me who, you know, is her father and the scarecrow and just showing that immediately she has equal opportunity or Mm. chance to talk to me because, you know, the scarecrow doesn't have a brain and Esteya, I need your help. I need your help to teach me what to do. So really giving the wow. child the empowerment, right, Eric?
0: Yeah, I fucking love and that. And then, man.
1: yeah. And so as we continue to walk down the Yellowbrook Road, we're building stories and talking about life and the magnitude of what it is. I really don't shy too far away with my daughters. And yeah. up would come my partner or my other daughter, Greta, and we would just whimsically go through this and maybe the you know good fairy or the good witch of the east or west comes up and we start to change things right we maybe see the wizard of oz being the mecca but you know maybe the wizard also needs to teach the witch what good is rather than killing her with water so after we keep moving forward you know i'm not going to also hide away from diving into the poppy seeds and passing out. So, you know, add that (laughs) non-ordinary dream, non-ordinary dream state because dreams are where all the information lies, right?
0: Yep. I completely agree.
1: So as we wake up from the dream, maybe we get cascaded off into that balloon and have to go a different route. And really, so even as I'm telling this, I'm alarmed at how much I make life very psychedelic I, I I make it whimsical it's not to say I'm not grounded yeah. in concrete sequential life and I need to know my zip code at the end of the day for you know facts and purposes but there's so much sure. information that can be done through exploring our consciousness and as you can see I go off on tangents and then stay will bring me back and hopefully we come back and, You know, end it like any good story. There's so much negative out in the world right now. It doesn't hurt to end the story with the beauty, right? Asteya gets to go home and we're all back there, right? Just like the Wizard of Oz was. The lion was her uncle, you know? The witch was someone that took the dog away. And just make things happy. It's not. There's nothing wrong with it. I think we're in such a flux right now to think that we have to be so serious and... It's, yeah. it's, it's alarming.
0: I love that you allow her to co-create the story with you as you tell it. Like, I am going to absolutely steal that as a father one day.
1: Yeah, I think it's super important to give them the empowerment. Because immediately, once they hit kindergarten, all of a sudden, they're, you know, at least in the industrial perspective, they're, you know, one of 20, one of 10, one of 40. And it's important to give them power and control over their creativity and their their opportunities of suggestion.
0: And can you start to kind of weave for us the story of uh, the nine-year-old you that was being followed by the moon and how you got to the point where um, you got interested in psychedelics?
1: Yeah, it was a very short um, time period between when I was nine and... As a nine-year-old, I immediately started questioning um, religion and spirituality after that experience. And as I kept questioning, I had the privilege of parents that offered me and gave me the support to be open to questions. If it was, you know, a religious class or something happening at school or how someone was treated. And in my early teens, I had a synchronistic experience, hanging out with some friends that were older. And I had a psilocybin experience, early teens that brought me to the brink of seeing the world at large, really recognizing both the positive, the negative, the shadow elements of Jungian theory, the darkness, as well as the light. And moments were coming and going and at this experience I was home, and I immediately, Eric, went back to my house. I had a friend that was sober drive me back, and I needed to go internal. And what I mean by that is, I needed to take this experience inside. I didn't care about the trees melting, or the dog running alongside the car talking to me. But I wanted to be able to really understand it. And that, that's a true story. That's what happened, is I'm driving, my sober friend's driving me home, And there's this dog talking to me. It was like a wolf. And I was like, whoa, this is deep. All the while.
0: You know what's crazy? uh, Just a quick aside. Um, I didn't do psychedelics until I was in my uh, early 20s. But I always had this image when I was a kid. I lived in Wisconsin that when I would look out the window, I would imagine a wolf running alongside the car.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we're northern mm. brothers because I'm from Minnesota. So we have that kind of mm. cosmic yeah. connection in, in in the geography. So yeah, this wolf, it, it it is an alarming spirit animal still to this day. But the encapsulation I took from this experience was that I was able to have the confidence and safety to work with this medicine, which I still believe it is a medicine. And go inside and really understand, even though it was such a short encapsulated time for me, what what my true calling is, what my purpose is. And so I would do that with friends and I would engage in, you know, recreational activities of, you know, any teenager do, but I'd always want to make it with depth and complexity. And as I continued to do that, books would start falling into my lap, right? Uh, mm. Ken Kesey, Uh, I would read Thomas Wolfe, the Kool-Aid acid test. I would learn about Tim Leary. I would learn about Stanislav Grof, LSD psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And it, it was all just like uncanny how much psychedelic information was coming my way. Right. And it then developed to the point in high school where I had one of the most transformational experiences and I went down to Chicago and saw the Grateful Dead's last show before Jerry Garcia died. And so this was wow. like a pinnacle, like juxtaposed for me, Eric. Yeah, it was crazy. I'm here studying theoretical and trying to do kind of innate dives with psychedelics. All the while, this amazing floral experiential music comes in. And for anyone that hasn't gone to a Dead & Company show or a Grateful Dead show or Fish, it's like hedonistic rites of passage they're 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 just big and so as a teenager this is all happening before I'm like you know out of high school and it, it really was transformative
0: and then um how did that lead to uh did you go to college and what was that process like
1: yeah I was um I alluded a little earlier that I was a hockey player so all the while this kid is diving into smoking marijuana doing psychedelics studying hard all the while but never really you know paying true credence to the sport that I've been bred to play and I ended up going to the University of Minnesota as a walk-on goalie and my brother is um, a division one player too and he was a forward and he's uh, ends up becoming a captain of the team and I'm sitting on the bench as a goalie, like looking in the audience and the stands and kind of daydreaming, uh, watching. And so I had the privilege to be a part of this amazing fraternity at the University of Minnesota and played hockey, went to school, got a degree in um, psychology with a minor in philosophy. And I remember the school counselor looking at me and they're like, what are you gonna do with a double major or a minor in philosophy and a psychology degree? You're going to have to go to school, like, forever. And I go, well, then that's the case, right? And finished up hockey and didn't really like it. It was a great fraternity to meet guys and hang out with people and throw amazing parties. But my brother went on and played and played professionally. And I just immediately wanted to do um, graduate school and keep, you know, becoming this therapist. Not necessarily focused on psychedelics by any means. I was more interested in actually child psychology and uh, behavioral modification stuff, so ended up graduating from the u and uh, it it was a really uh, wonderful experience
0: and then what was so after you graduated um, graduate school, what was the path like wh- what was the dance that you were doing in your life at that time
1: yeah, I had um A daughter um, who was, say, eight. I was um, dying to leave Minnesota. I um, graduated and did my master's thesis on holotropic breath work with the model of Stanislav Graf. So my my, my master's thesis was focused on non-ordinary states, which included LSD, psilocybin, and all the other psychedelics. But really, at the time, it was important to make a differentiation of uh, holotropic breathwork or any other uh, non-ordinary states of work were spiritual in tilt and needed integration and my master's thesis was specifically how to use transpersonal psychology which was founded yeah. by stan and james fatherman and the likes of the gentleman in the 60s with conjunction to psychedelic work holotropic breathwork and for those who don't know Whole breathwork is a form of evocative breathing um, that he created with his wife, Christina. And it's used to evoke similar experiences without having to ingest the compound. And that's a huge component for me is I want people to know that they can do it on their own. And so I'm kind yeah. of studying the breathwork and I'm studying psychedelics still all the while going through my classical therapy. And I found myself... Um, moving out to New York City for a while, uh, spending time thinking I was going to do the New York City thing, uh, all that time recognizing how expensive it was, and then moving to the coast of San Francisco and jumping into the breathwork certification process, um, teaching people breathwork. And I then found myself needing to come back home to Minnesota And I started uh, immediately needing that more education. I'm a real nuance of experiential, living life and learning about life through experiential stuff. And then also, like education, I think there's a refined line that people can walk. And I uh, signed up for, yeah, I signed up for my PhD out at what Sophia University, uh, formerly known as the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in San Francisco. San Francisco. At what and, age? Uh, this was probably in my mid twenties, thirties. Thirties is when I got my um, uh, thirty. You're checking my memory. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> probably I got my um, PhD in my mid thirties. So right now I'm in my early forties. So yeah, about fifteen years ago, I think. I see. Yeah. My math is awful, but yeah, early 30s, you're, you're, it's, a, it's a beautiful question to ask. And uh, in the interim, I was uh, working at an addiction center. The program at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology was an online program where you would just go and do these intensive workshops. And at that point, I started getting super, super into sexuality of, as a theoretical perspective and seeing all the wounds both men and women have experienced at the you know, hands of each other. And, uh, yeah. now, now my experience is working with gender fluidity, gender identity, sexual addiction, sexual abuse, and finding psychedelic, uh, work as an amazing modality to heal a lot of the sexual trauma that we implement on each other.
0: So I'm curious, and this is going to be a big question and you can, you know, dance with it whatever way feels like it makes the most sense, but what is your model of the psyche? Like, how do you conceptualize uh, what the psyche is and how do you go about dancing with someone who wants to kind of uh, bring some order to it?
1: Well when I hear that question immediately I start to get tongue tied because the trouble I have is what's the assigned meaning versus the label. I remember early on in psychology work is one of my professors talked about the difference between the mind consciousness and then the physical brain and a lot of times just to piggyback off of what you said Eric at the end when people get hung up or they want to make order of it immediately I want to understand what they're looking for or what what's so alarming that they need to know what's going on in the psyche in in my book we talk a lot about you know, maps of consciousness. And I think for safety and for people to feel tethered to this earth, people want answers. And as I continue to dance with this question, I know I'm not a neurobiologist. I'm not a neuroscientist. I have a hard time grasping what consciousness is based off of my own spiritual practice. And I also have a significant um, loophole is that oftentimes I'm a walking contradiction. So immediately one day I'm like, oh yeah, my consciousness is going to carry with me. And my psyche is a part of my map of who I am. And then the next minute with the support of friends and family, I I think I'm compost. And at the end of the day, what's the difference of my psyche, right? Like what's, what's this ego? The last thing I want to do is be conceived of psyche and ego being this huge deal that I have to kind of hold on to and, like be locked into this, you know, skin encapsulated, you know, experience. So when you talk to me about what the psyche is, it's really um, important for me to hear from clients or people what they need, right? And this is maybe my empathetic nature is I'm just as much a student as I am a teacher. And I have no clue what, what I'm experiencing is any different or different than someone else right and i'm a i'm a storyteller i'm also a
0: listener and
1: would love to learn yeah what would you say uh you've heard mostly about the psyche
0: yeah so i think the better way to have asked that question is what is your map of consciousness because when i think of the word psyche i see that as representing like what is the totality of the phenomenological experience of being a human um right And I think that that would also be like, that that would be like, what is the map of consciousness? And I think, you know, like, I really like the Jungian model and I'm constantly tinkering with it and playing with it as I read more empirically supported modern psychology. And I'm always trying to like, I feel that there's a thing in me that's trying to piece these things together to provide like a modern uh, pragmatic map, you know, because- I'm I'm sorry, what was the last thing you said?
1: No, it's an approach, is what I hear you saying. Like, to yeah. is that what you're asking? Is the approach that you use to make sense of this experience?
0: Yeah, like the question that I, like hearing your feedback, now I understand that I think the way to ask the question that I was trying to ask is, if a client comes to you and they want help with improving their life for whatever their personal obstacle is, what is the map of consciousness that you use to help them solve their problems?
1: Right, and this is an important conversation to have as it relates to subjective experience, and I think we could um, combine the two questions of what our experiences on Earth as an embodied human and what the map of consciousness people want to have to make sense of their experience. And that could be under the idea of subjective approach, because if I meet said client and they have this already real empirical research and study physics and they see everything as energy and they see everything as a map of consciousness through energy or the new science say, I, I want to listen to that and I want them to not feel crazy as, oh, you know, hey, I just did five grams of mushrooms and I'm going to blow that theory out of the water. There's actually, you know, deep, right? There's deep there's deep um, existential experiences as you can have that have nothing to do with physics. And then on the counter, yeah. if someone thinks, you know, uh, Christianity or Judaism or the likes of any kind of religion is their, their map, and i'm only speaking spiritually now but Hmm. i I don't want to jar that i mean in my lens the biggest thing right eric is not to um exacerbate uncertainty and so even as you use i love the way you say what's the dance i let people dance it out so they can find it themselves and oftentimes to just tie in the conversation to psychedelics they're going to find crystal clear maps of consciousness. I personally believe in Jungian approach. I agree with you. I, I also look at everything with archetypes. I find yeah, Stanislav yeah. Graf's maps of consciousness as significant. Stan was a trailblazer in creating consciousness and working with consciousness. And, you know, then... Six weeks ago or a month ago, I have a huge experience uh, recreationally or psychedelically that totally blows my whole opinion away. And I alluded to the (laughs) idea of of compost. And it's like, I'm like, well, what it came to, Eric, and this is a digression and I'm well aware of it, is the thing that it told me was we as human beings are so impatient And so on, it's almost like an internal anxiety that we need answers that we forget at some point in time if we're being and set in stone or if we're fluid with experiences, that answers will manifest. And oftentimes what I've learned in my brief experiences is they're full of contradictions, they're full of uncertainty, and if you can be comfortable in that uncertainty – that's where the magic lies if you can be yeah. comfortable as the listener if you can be comfortable seeking out understanding that's where the true magic lies so no matter what maps of consciousness you need to be tethered to uh, it needs to give you the chance to kind of flow down the river It needs to give you the chance to kind of explore what is the opportunity to get more clarifi- clarifications comfort who knows
0: So I'm curious, what is your personal map of consciousness? Because I recognize that the way that I asked the question, uh, you're going to, the primary thing that you'll be doing is trying to learn what the reality tunnel of the client is. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I'm curious is for you personally, like if you're going to go integrate an experience, like what is your process and how do you interpret consciousness, like your consciousness, and how do you solve problems that arise in your life?
1: Yeah, uh, the maps of consciousness and the integrative process I use is um, quite different. There's plenty of nuances I have. Uh, First and foremost, I use five senses to really ground myself. I think the most important thing is in any kind of process as it is through daily living outside of the realm of psychedelic work or through integrating a psychedelic experience, my map of consciousness is embodiment, is finding ways to embody myself, be it using uh, smell, sight, sound, taste. And immediately once I get grounded in my body and find ways to ground in my body, then I let myself um, use like the Jungian approach of active imagination, which you've witnessed right. today through our conversation. I find giving <laughs> giving freedom to really dive into just being exploratory through what comes up in synchronicities and um, to directly say the Jungian approach is huge, but I'm also um, using lately, and I have quite a bit is the condensed experience that Stan Groff talks about. And what that means is what are the condensed experiences you are embodied in today? What are you feeling today? And what right. meanings do they share? All right, and what meaning does it have? So, if you feel as if you're living with proverbial anxiety over certain things, what does that mean to you, and why is that, and how can you work directly with it? I think. Uh, on a side note, pulling cards, I use Aleister Crowley's tarot cards. The throw deck. Same, quite actually. Wow. Do you? Yeah, the do you pull cards daily? Yeah. This is another um, no, synchronicity, do it for,
0: um, you know, that, once a week. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll do it on Mondays.
1: Nice. And uh, so this is another beautiful synchronicity that I would be silly not to keep exploring, right? Here we are, yeah. we're talking about wolves, cards, and you know, the, the, moon, the relationship yeah. to the north. Yeah, and the moon. So you know, I need places and things to both ground into my life, such as, you know, working in the garden, such as Creating um, integrative exercises of art, uh, oftentimes just you know right brain, left brain stuff is a huge component to that as well. And then do more esoteric exercises like the, the cards or astrology. I think astrology has a significant grip on me right now and continuously going down that road because I do believe it is a, a, a spiritual practice.
0: What and how do you approach dreams? Because you mentioned earlier, and like I could not agree more. I think dreams are one of the most powerful um, messages that we get from you know some other part of us that's much smarter than the egoic part. How do you approach dreams? How do you explain like the significance of dreams to people who might not understand it? And uh, what is your process for interpreting?
1: Dream analysis to me is important, and I'm going to um, lean on my mentor, Jeremy Taylor. Jeremy Taylor um, recently passed, and he does an experience of what's called projective dream theory, and what it means is he he takes the vantage point of the dreamer. So if you and I are in, in, um, interpreting a dream, I would take the vantage point of you as the experiential felt process. And to continue to elaborate on it, I would ask people not to use books because say a book was written in 1995 or, you know, even even as early as 2000, the symbolic nature, and I'm not discounting what the archetypes of symbols are, seems so archaic because the Right, Because the felt sense experience of the individual having the dream today in 2019 is so much transformational and so much more important to look at. So what Jeremy Taylor did was he went through this experience of saying, and what he taught me is, in my imagined version of the dream. So if you, Eric, are having this dream and you're talking about a wolf running alongside your car, and it is a dream-like state, but it's real, it's in your dream. I would say in my imagined version, I wonder if the wolf is protecting you. Is the wolf protecting me? And so rather than like project and say you, I would say me. And then you'd be able to like, right, you'd be able to like check it out and go, hey, this is really cool. I get this experience to watch my feelings, my physical body reaction, and my felt sense as it relates to this person talking about it. And you could say yay or nay as the dreamer. You could say, "Oh, that doesn't sit well with me," where mm. that does sit well with me, right? And then it just I like continues. That a lot because mushrooms.
0: Please. Yeah, because I do find that my interpretation, especially if I'm not really kind of like if I had too much coffee that day and it's three p.m., I find myself I'm telling them what I think it means, and they tend to just accept it. And this seems like such a more beautiful and inviting way to actually see what they think about the symbol. So that's really good.
1: Yeah. Right. And so I even actually have brought it into my therapy practices. Um, I've molded it uh, quite a bit. And so I'm expounding on what he used as projection dream. And I I think it's really helpful because it's a safe way, Eric, to be able to speak through an unconscious or active imagination and yet at the end of the day, what I'm doing is trying to empathize with what it might be like, you know, to be hanging from right. the top of a building and go, is it anxiety? Is it fear? And they could say, no, it's not. It's, it's, not, it's none of those. It's just exhilaration. And maybe they didn't know yeah. it was exhilaration. Maybe they were like, like you said, surface level thinking, oh gosh, I'm fearful of falling off of a building. And so I, so I lean into fear and they say, no, it's not fear. It's actually exhilaration. And I'm looking forward, you know, to adventure who knows where it could go, yeah. but dreams are magical. And, and I, um I owe a great deal of uh, that experience to the person, right? Because then the person can meander down the path and say, Oh, this resonates or this doesn't resonate.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I'm curious, how, how do you, explain dreams to someone who might not think that they're significant. Like what's your angle and how do you kind of weave that story?
1: I'm a firm believer of consent. So if someone doesn't believe that they have any meaning, I'm going to go to that first. I'm going to exacerbate why, why does that right? I I use the term make it bigger. I, I want people to get uncomfortable in their skin. And so Immediately, someone pushes back and says, you know, Ryan, dreams are frivolous. They're just, you know, our consciousness trying to, you know, card catalog our experience from yesterday. I would immediately go, why Why do you have that position? What, what, what's secure about that position? And really mm, kind of... That's insight, a good question. In, yeah. What What makes that so secure? Or why am I taking this vantage point, Eric? And I like
0: that. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Because what it's doing is it's developing them to, to question, right? I want to immediately – and this isn't just in therapy. I mean, this is, you know, dinner parties next door. This is different places. Like, I, I, we have these dream conversations all the time around my house. And so yeah. I'm like, why why not? And so once we get to that equilibrium of saying this dream is going to teach you something, I, I found remarkable entry points to people going into – Really deep conversations with one another that are felt and meaningful, and yet there's still that kind of far removed because we're, you know, archetypally and kind of you know <laughs> under the yeah. full umbrella of talking about dreams. So we're not talking; it's not so threatening when, when you start talking about, um, you know, me flying across the cloud and jumping into a pool, right? People, people still, but they find significant meaning in the archetypes and what could be a commonality amongst each other.
0: So I'm curious, like if I reposition this question and let's say you were at a dinner party and there was a very curious person who was kind of playing devil's advocate and they wanted you to convince them why dreams are important. You know, and you guys are eating dinner and drinking wine and they seem very smart and very curious and kind of playful. And they invited you to try to convince them. How would you do that? Or like, w- what would be the response that you would give? Uh,
1: immediately dive into... So I would immediately dive into meeting them and joining with them and, you know, really diffusing the uh, the question. All the while, dive into asking them if they have a dream that they'd like to share with me. So I'd play yeah. with it. Or I would... Um, Use myself as an example. I'm really transparent, so oftentimes I would use myself as an example to showcase safety because I would never want. Mm, and I talk I like about that. this with psychedelics too. I would never want anyone to do something I wouldn't be comfortable doing. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll share one of my dreams with them, and they can um, practice my protocol, right? Practice kind of my rules of engagement, making sure there's no projection. Don't tell me how to feel. You know, bring up ideas that you feel connected to my story. I I don't have any problem with that. And let's see what happens. That's what I would say is let's see what happens. In more cases than not, I guarantee people would find transformation or clarity with why dream work is so magical.
0: I love this. Can I share a dream with you and can we just kind of walk through how that dance would go? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So recently... The most significant dream that I remember having is I was inside this like underground cave, and there was this huge kind of like cave platform. And I remember there being like a crowd of people, but I don't remember anyone specifically. And um, on my right hand is this huge bald eagle, and there's this understanding that the bald eagle's talons are poisonous, and that anyone who holds it will be killed but that I was able to hold it in a way where it's poisonous talons could not harm me. And then Mm. there's this woman that I know in real life who, um, she's kind of a symbol for like female strength and she's pretty fierce, um, like strong. And when she saw that I was holding the Eagle, she told me like, I don't remember specifically what she said, but the feeling was, because you're able to hold this, you're gonna have the crowd's attention and now it's your responsibility to articulate the importance of this bird.
1: Wow, wow, I love it. So to go through the process and we won't do this for this example, but I would invite you then to retell that dream and ask what the feeling is that you get, all the while there's a couple of rules of engagement. I'm going to ask questions and the questions are going to be as the dreamer, as the dreamer, I wonder, yeah. and I, I, as the dreamer, I wonder what mm. was my feeling like? And you're going to hear this and it gets confusing for people, but I, I am going to be speaking from an eye stance because I am you in the dream. I am the one yeah. that dove into the cave that's on the platform that's holding this eagle. And I just feel empowered. And I wonder what was my feeling after waking up?
0: Yeah, the truth is I felt empowered. I felt um, some personal things have happened in my life and to respect them, I won't get into the details, but um, I was in a way that would be interpreted by anyone who witnessed it, I was betrayed. And that the way that I responded to it felt very like, um, you know, if the inner God is watching and judging, he would have given an A plus, that type of feeling. And Mm. when I woke up, the feeling was that um, my responsibility here now is to articulate truthfully that experience. That was the first thing that came up when I woke up after that dream.
1: That's fantastic. And in my imagined version, does this cave feel like a safe place? Do I do I feel comfortable in the position of being on the platform holding? I do. And am I speaking to people or am I engaged in conversation with the likes of the faces that are unknown or unseen?
0: No, I'm not. I hadn't actually gotten to the point of talking. The dream was really... Um, I could see that the that this huge powerful bird was in my right hand and that i was being communicated to that it's now my turn to begin talking but in the dream i hadn't actually spoken to the crowd sure
1: and as i hold the eagle do i get a sense of trepidation uh that i i understand the power that i hold that will will people learn how to receive me do people know how to receive the gift I have and the complexity of the information.
0: There was not trepidation, no. Do it. It felt like a calm. Right. Like this is what it is.
1: Sure. And uh, symbolically, um, as I connect with the woman, I trust the woman. I feel safe with her opinion and advice that they give me.
0: This is an interesting question because this woman in real life, I would actually not, but how she's appeared in my dreams and there has been a pattern is she does appear to be um, a very clear, competent guide.
1: What's my experience in life of trusting people that try to tell me what to do and how, how to do it?
0: Hmm, what's odd is because of my nature in the world, people tend not to give me advice of what to do.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. And that's what I'm wondering is, is underneath it all, if I, and this is just in my imagined version, so now I'm shifting in, into, in my imagined version, I wonder if I'm still practicing, I'm in the underground, however, I'm on a platform, I'm not too concerned with the people because their faces aren't that significant and at the end of the day i'm challenging myself to get out of my comfort zone by holding an ego with so much empowerment and so much but am i ready to really stand on the platform above ground am i really ready to Mm. you know look at and so i I need to take a proverbial time (laughs) out because what i would encourage then is hopefully we would, could potentially make this a group exercise, right? So I do group work like this. And oh, then cool. it's not just, it's just, you know, Eric, then it's not just my opinion that I'm dumping on you, sir.
0: But wow, that's it's, really cool. Know,
1: it's, so then it's just cross and it's embedded in this just manifestation. It's super cool. And so to go back to the dinner party, wow. the, you've got five or six people. One might be drawn to your ego, Another one might be drawn to the woman. Another one, as I so, I'm right now kind of balancing different perspectives of what's the cave symbolized, what's the platform symbolized, what's this eagle symbolized, what's this woman symbolized, and all the while also exploring what my feeling is throughout this. And you know, then you're checking in with hmm. sexuality. You're checking in with you know ego. You're checking in with performance. And you're trying to bring it into real life. I want everything to walk with a refinement of unconscious and conscious, non ordinary, ordinary. And so the theme that I always embed with people is walking the proverbial tightrope of one foot in reality and one foot in not ordinary states, right? Yeah. And so as you're diving into this, I just I'm captivated with, am I ready? Do I have the courage? Do I have, and what do I need to have the courage to bring this? Or maybe I'm comfortable in the underground. You know, we talk about the underground. Do I reside in the fringe topics? And is the only places to have this underground? That's totally comfortable to me. And I wonder if it's the same for you.
0: Yeah, the takeaway from that dream when I woke up was a knowing Basically, to write about what the experience was, and then I did write something publicly about, you know, the experience. And I, I feel like that was the fulfillment of that dream. Beautiful, really beautiful.
1: And so, what I love about what you did, and what I would want is, I would embody it. I would try to embody it, and like you right. just rec- recollected. Is do something with it. And I invite that with many of the people I come across is what are you going to actively do? It could be as simple as, you know, start walking. Integrative exercises. What are you going to do to integrate it? What are you going to do to perform on this platform?
0: Right. And so, fantastic. um, yeah, so thank you so much for doing that. I've, I've picked up a few core things that I'm going to carry with me forward because people are asking me to interpret their dreams like every day, and I love doing it. And you've taught me some core fundamental things that I'm going to be adding. So thank you very much.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thank you for sharing it. That's a vulnerable subject matter. People showing their dreams, that's also super important. And the last thing I'd say about it is just honoring someone to let you into their unconscious. Can be very intimate, can be very intimate to the point where it's like, you know, physically uh, undressing someone psychologically, you know, you're diving into someone's experience. And so always offering just commitment to courage and vulnerability. And I thank you for that. It's really remarkable.
0: Thank you. And the last kind of big question that I have before we get into how I end these, which is some word association questions is... What was the story about um, the creation of this book? Like, how did it begin? What were the seeds? And how did you begin to cultivate the plant?
1: Uh, the Psychedelic Integration Handbook was uh, manifested over the course of probably my entire life. Uh, personally, as you addressed, it's, it was something that was calling to me. And my co-author, Jay Dufer Show, was a really instrumental support We met uh, six years ago and we've always been into the esoteric and the divine and the spiritual and the psychological. And so we talked quite a bit and I wanted to formulate an active book. I have been doing psychedelic work personally for somewhat now, I would call it 30 years and I needed some active exercises. And what I wanted to do, Eric, is write a book to my younger self, right? At the time yep. there wasn't the internet, there wasn't this renaissance. And it's very important for me to articulate today that I'm not just an advocate for the therapeutic research, the you know, mainline mainstream stuff, but also 30 million people a year are doing this work. And I wanted this book to wow. manifest for the young teenager or the college kid or whoever the individuals are that need a reference, need the support, need a roadmap. And so passing on and just continuously flourishing that. So building exercises, the books designed where there's a lot of educational research. Then I say, now your turn. What's your draw? I always want it to be conversational and intimate. And at the end of it, the integration exercises are practical real life things. So I'm really designing that nuance to kind of flow through it and it's designed in the way that it's your book it's the person's book to make it their own the cover is intentionally black and white it's a opportunity to draw on and so I was all this was organically coming through me it was just like kind of just channeling through me and humbly quite fun to just keep writing keep you know manifesting conversations or directions. And at the end of the book, it ends with dying, preparing yourself to design your own death. And so that Uh, seed planted, because lately, that's what's been going on in my life. I'm not 90 years old, I'm not 100. But I've had the privilege of working with people and seeing death in my life, that I want people to not be afraid of it, right? And so the book starts with the entryway. And we have closed it off with, how do you design your own death? How do you create this? And it's wow. just, it's been an organic process the whole entire time. And just channeling intuitive inquiry, following your leads, following your intuition is, is, is vital. And that's really how the Psychedelic Integration Handbook manifested is, you know, a communal experience with the people I've met through my practice and in my life.
0: I love it, man. I'm, I'm really glad that you sent me a copy and that we were able to have this conversation. And I can feel, I can like, I'm not quite sure how to say it, but there's lots of people who create something. And then once you interact with them, you can feel that the creation was not of their spirit. It was more either like a tactical thing that they worked with the team on, or they got somebody else to do it or was something that they felt obligated to do. And then there are people that once you connect with them, you're like, oh, this is an extension of their being. And I can feel right. that here.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, disclosure, it was experiential to the fullest. So Oh, uh, just sure. Say, uh, <laughs> yeah, every couple of months, I needed to make sure I was formulating appropriately and seeing how it works, right? right? It's like testing yeah. out a recipe. So, yeah, it's definitely embodied, and I appreciate I it and I'm deeply humbled by your statement because I hope it comes across. And I want to transcend that and also give it to people, and that's, what, again, making it your own. Psychedelic integration, life in its own, is a subjective experience that they deserve to create and, and really run with, make it happen.
0: Absolutely. Uh, if you're game for it, I would like to ask you some word association questions, and then we will wrap it up.
1: Yes, please. All right, let's do it.
0: Cool. Word or phrase that captures your life philosophy?
1: Contradicting.
0: Word or phrase that cuts to the core of who you are?
1: Curiosity.
0: What are you most afraid of?
1: Letting down my children.
0: What is your most persistent problem?
1: Staying consistent.
0: Is your need for control low, medium, or high? Low. Are you more intellectually or physically competitive?
1: Physically and intellectually (laughs)
0: depends.
1: If it's against my brother,
0: it's physical. (laughs) Are you more critical of yourself or of others? Self. Do you prefer fast or slow choices? Slow. Molasses. Pressure. slow. Slow. Pressure comes from internal. And pressure feels like in the body. Fluid,
1: ever moving.
0: In my community, I am a king, a warrior, a magician, or a lover?
1: A uh, lover.
0: It all comes down to love. Success love leads. is love leads. That's lovely.
1: Love leads by just walking it, embodying it. It's like, it's just been downloaded on me so much. And it's the proverbial kind of question of the year is what is love? It's being, you know, seeing others as you would want to be seen. Love leads. That's all I can say.
0: I love it. My vision.
1: My vision is to leave a legacy of compassion, peace, acceptance, and to walk on this earth with gentleness. Walk gentle. I am. I am just froze me. <laughs> 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 I, <laughs> I am. I seriously, I am the dirt, man. <laughs> it's like it says I'm going right back to source.
0: My purpose.
1: To hold space, to give people space for vulnerability, to know that they're okay. It literally, it brings me to emotion just to let people know that they're okay and we're all in it together. And there's just a place for me to hold space, to listen.
0: The most defining moment of my life.
1: Uh, Five grams in my early teens um mm-hmm. seeing my two daughters born there's i would say i've had some different lifetimes there's plenty mm-hmm. of them and some of them i can't even still talk about because i'm still trying to formulate them
0: and this is the last question it's got a couple of parts but let's say that you've reached the end of your life you know that you're going to die the next day as you sleep what do you do on that last day who do you want with you and if you could leave one note on a piece of paper to your grandchildren, what would you say?
1: I'm going to start with um, knowing that I'm going to die. Um, I, I would love to design my death like Adolphe Huxley and have everybody in the room and someone administer me a little bit of LSD or psychedelics that night. This is another before. synchronicity.
0: This is exactly yeah. wh- how I fantasize about wanting to die. That is the exact <laughs> right. thing.
1: Yeah, I I will say that's the one jealous bone in my body is he scored a pretty good experience on his deathbed having Laura. And that's a, you know, plug to the timeless moment. Laura Huxley's book is amazing. It's a great story. So beautiful. So beautiful. I would, um, that's the night before because I want to be present. I I will contradict that by saying that morning or going into it, I want to be present and alert because I think our breath is a magical vehicle. So this is, mm. you talk about death with me, it might be another hour and a half. <laughs> I want I want <laughs> my daughters to be next to me. I want my partner to be next to me. And it's very important for me to just sit and let them witness it. Let them see that yeah. there's nothing to be scared of. I'm really not scared of what's to come. I've witnessed it in my own personal life and... I want people to be comfortable with it. I want it to be a magical act. I I watched Tim Leary's experience of his dying, and that seemed quite unique to people coming in and flowing out. And just being conversational, let whoever in. It's not some kind of stigma that certain people can't come and certain people can. I would love to know who would want to be around, and maybe it's just me being silent by myself because I'll have that time. We're born here and we die here but I I really would love my children and grandchildren if I have any to be a part of it, which leads me to know what I would write in a note. Is it um, to grandchildren and my children? Yeah. um, That I did my best and that I I love leads and I did my best with what I knew and I didn't know everything. And I, I think leaving with humility understanding individuals with um, what I say to my oldest before she goes off to high school every day is be curious, be kind, and lead with love and just challenge yourself to, you know, walk in this world gentle. It's so important to just walk in this world gentle. There's so much aggression.
0: Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for creating the works that you have
1: Eric, thank you so much. And I appreciate it. And anyone can reach out and find me on psychedelicintegration.net or healingsoulsllc.com. Eric, it's been amazing. Thank you so much.
0: I hope you have a beautiful day, brother. And I will probably have you on here again.
1: Yeah, I would love it. Anytime. Take care.